0: Hello, welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast. Here, the Sea of the Blood Channel. I think it's been a while since I said that full sentence. Um, <laughs> I'm Josh Williams, and I'm joined by Mo Stewart, as
1: always. Mo, what did you think of the weekend, mate? Big game. It was a very big game. It's strange. I think because of my weekly schedule, working late on Friday night, I didn't really have. Sometimes the big games, when you wake up in the morning, you have the long build-up for the nerves and all that to kick in. I didn't really have that. I basically had half an hour to grab a cup of tea and sit down in front of the telly. <laughs> but it was an enthralling game, even if it wasn't necessarily the blockbuster that some people would like to see between these two fantastic teams. But I came out of it feeling very positive about a lot of different elements. When I, when you come out away from the had feeling like we actually could have won, then I've always seen the less positive.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one to analyse. We are going to get into it. Um, it's it we built it up as like a you know a really tactical affair, and I think uh, it was in part. But I expected one of the two coaches to come with something new. I expected one of them to come with a ball. Neither them really did. Um, they both kind of went as expected for the most part. Maybe Guardiola over the years has kind of learned so that a little bit. Um, I think in terms of the the performances of both sides specifically Liverpool obviously I, I think you, you have to almost considering the game where it was um, the level of City the run they're all mm-hmm. sp- sp- specifically at home and things I think you almost have to separate the result and the performance where you know the, the result obviously we can't be more happy with to be honest I don't think we deserve to win by any means on the day mm-hmm. and so you know, to come away with a point, to find a way to draw it against this team, I think we've got to be more nappy. But in terms of the performance, um, I think it was it was all right. I think I think I'm, I'm like you though. Know, in terms of if we'd have actually turned up in in some areas, we'd have caused them a lot more problems. I think, and that that's a little bit frustrating.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think we're going to come on to it, but I think our defensive game plan worked a lot better than our offensive game plan. I think there were times where maybe we slightly sacrificed one for the other, particularly in second half. But I do think that in a game like this, the the there's always going to be few amount of chances. I don't think we created very much uh, in terms of xG at all. There was the header from Nunez early on. Uh, and then the goal. I think those are the uh, really only two real chances we've created, and obviously that's not what we've seen from this Liverpool team. We've been creating chances time after time, um, so that was disappointing. I think you're right. There has to be a certain amount of um, allowance in for the opposition and for the record that they have at home. In terms of the um, not really changing too much. With Man City in particular, I think Guardiola was indeed hamstrung by the lack of resources, which is a crazy thing to say about Manchester City, but it's where they found themselves. Um, the fact that he didn't make any subs at all, obviously, I think if Stones had been fit to play, he would have come into the picture, but he didn't make any substitutions at all, uh, which tells you that he was very much hoping that that 11 would be the 11 to get the job done. And I do think that had an influence on how Man City approached the game. There are certain periods of the game where you would expect them to put their foot on the accelerator and really try and press home an advantage. And they did not They kind of let us hang around. And as we've seen in the past this season, teams have let us hang around away from home. we come back to bite you. I think particularly Newcastle. So there were certain elements that were maybe out of the manager's control, but I'm like you, I was Fascinated with how they went about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think to to touch on first, I think we, we will just briefly touch on on the teams that both sides selected, and, and and maybe like was there any surprises in there? Obviously, I really built up the uh, the gaff gap, outing. Um, I think, and he went with Nunes, I was a little bit surprised by that, but I was excited by it as well. I think it's it's a really really good sign uh, for him on the defensive side. We know what he offers on on, on the ball and in terms of his threat and things like that. And again, we'll touch on that soon in terms of his, his little kind of miniature battle with Haaland. Um Simakas obviously started ahead of Gomez, I thought that was a uh, one that was kind of in the balance. Gravenberg was on the bench, Jones started. Um and I suppose on, on City's side, um Josco Gradiol on the bench. Yeah, uh, I think I did touch last week on, on on the fact he's had a little bit of a weird start. Not a weird start, but um you know, not like a record breaking defender started and like that. Um Doku started on the left hand side, which I'm sure we'll touch on as well. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean was there any surprises for you then in terms of the, the lineup and things and the and the shake that we used and stuff?
1: Um no. I think I wasn't surprised that once Klopp picked Nunes that he then went with Jota rather than having both of the South American lads Starting the game that kind of made sense to me. Um, I was hoping and kind of predicted here we go with semi and I feel like he justified that the, um, selection. Yeah, this performance. Ooh, definitely. Um, I think the only thing you haven't really covered there was the matter for Kanate thing, which I yeah, think I most in. people were still assuming that this would be the big game and Kanate would come in. As Kanate, in most people's eyes, is still the number one choice to partner Virgil Van Dyke, but. When you look at how the game panned out, it's clear why Matip was selected, and again, he absolutely justified that selection in both attack and defense.
0: Yeah, I thought Matip was great. Um, I thought he offered a lot of value on the ball, specifically for Liverpool, considering uh, Manchester City's defensive structure was was flawless. I felt they were they were really, really good against the ball, really difficult to penetrate through. Um. Well, yeah, I mean, in terms of where, where, where we can start, then obviously you you messaged me before the show in terms of the, the, the defensive performance. Obviously, it's uh, quite a tricky one to analyse in terms of a lot of people seem to think City should have run away with it. I think that Liverpool were, were relatively lucky. Some of the XG models of uh, different numbers, which I will touch on in a sec, but why is it then that new, I suppose, us so frustrated by the by the narrative on this one
1: well i think because it's just a really easy and obvious way to analyze the game to say that Doku in particular got past trent alexander arnold on multiple occasions or should i say put moves on him that left him on the back foot because some of the times he didn't actually get past him And that has been the focus of most people because it's the most obvious thing when you see in the game, particularly the way the game went. There was a period where they were feeding him over and over again. And I absolutely concede that in Liverpool's defensive game plan, part of the thing would have been to stop Doku getting the ball again and again and again. I believe Bernardo Silva passed to Doku 17 times. That's a lot. I I think we'd have probably wanted that number to be less. But I think... There was a clear plan of what we were doing and the Doku-Trent battle, as it turned out to be, was very much connected to the battle between uh, Haaland and the centre-halves, in particular Van Dyke. And I think when you look at the way, Liverpool, the way Trent defended against Doku in particular, it was the same thing again and again and again. He didn't engage, he didn't make the tackle until he absolutely had to. If he wanted him... If Doki wanted to get past him, he was going to have to get past him on the outside. If he came inside, there was going to be other defenders to come in. And if he's going on the outside, make him so wide that he can't shoot, that he's got to cross the ball. And then once he crosses the ball, then it's up to Haaland and the centre-backs to battle it out. And on the one hand, it can look bad, but if you don't know what the plan is, then again, it can look worse than it actually is. And, I think that when you go away to Manchester City, there's always going to be a certain element where, A, you have to be lucky defensively, and B, they're going to put you under massive pressure and have long periods where they look like they could score. They scored one goal in this game. I think that's a win. And it was self so inflicted, by the way. It was exactly. It was, into, oh my goodness me. That was probably <laughs> the most frustrating part about the first half is that, seemingly all of City's best opportunities came from when we did let our guard down or we did do something sloppy. So the fact that this fantastic attacking team who won 23 home games weren't really able to carve us apart in the way that they would like, I think is a win.
0: Yeah, I mean, we need to add a a fair bit of context to this one, first of all. And I think obviously the international breaks just happened. So... The club only got one session with his players, which is not ideal when you're basically coaching in a completely new midfield department. On top of that, you're facing the treble winners at the Etihad, having won 23 matches in a row in all competitions, one away from a win which would have, I think, broken a record dating back to the 1800s, yeah. which is insane. <laughs> <laughs> um so there's your context immediately, like the, the team that you're up against. You need you need to be almost you need to respect what they do. The, you know it's, it's a Guardiola team. They've got arguably their scariest striker in Premier League history up front, um, past masters everywhere, and just a really good side. And it's it you know facing that team is not easy. So there's there's your context immediately, and in, in terms of like how Liverpool performed in the game and. You know, what we gave away and things like that. I think it was a it was a a good performance, a good defensive performance against Manchester City. Not great and we've been better, but it was it was decent. So in terms of the numbers, um stats bomb interestingly, who were the best, had City at about one point one or one point two XG, which is not a lot for them. Yeah. Um, Liverpool, zero point six xG. So that does look very much like a a one all really. Um, City have got the edge, obviously, but it's not by a, It's not by a great deal. No. City took more shots, obviously, sixteen shots to eight. So they took double the amount of shots, but none of them were really like clear cut open shots. Um, and that's kind of captured by the xG per shot. So. The average shot that City took was worth about, it it scored about 8% of the time, whereas the average shot that's taken by City so far this season is about 11%. Um, they faced Arsenal earlier in the season, for example, and created the the average shot that they created was worth about 12% and, and things like that, Wolves, who beat them actually, managed to keep their shots down really, really low. The average shot that City created against Wolves was worth four percent. Um you know, scored four percent at the time. And they, they accumulated 23 of them shots. So that was why they they only ended up finding an out one. So I think it might have been a free kick ahead the time. Um but yeah that that that's that that's kind of your context immediately. And I think I think looking back at like previous seasons, going back to like 2018 I think Liverpool did manage to keep Manchester City up when Liverpool were at the best. I think they did manage to keep Manchester City's attack to around one xG, um, but between like 0.6 and maybe 1.2 ish. So this was kind of around that. Um, and if you look at, I suppose penalty box touches, which is obviously, you know, that's something. That I suppose from a defensive perspective, it's something that you don't really want. Hmm. Um, City accumulated 36 touches in Liverpool's penalty box. Wow. Um, that's a fair bit like compared to the season so far. It's about middle of the road. Hmm. Nottingham Forest kept them that da- kept them down to 13. Arsenal kept them to 14. Fulham 20. Brighton 21. Newcastle United 21. Burnley 23 and then Liverpool 36. So yeah, it was. A, it's a weird one. So I think it was a good defensive mm. performance, but it all we also could have been a bit water, a bit more watertight I think yeah. Failed forward, Failed, I think the the press, I think, could have been better, but the back line, I think, I don't think could have been much better.
1: Uh, you're right. I think it's a mixture of two things. One, what those stats kind of say to me is that there were certain things that Liverpool were more willing to live with than others. So you take <clears throat> by having more. Um, touches in the box against the having a higher XG of shot. I think those, of those 16 shots, seven of them were blocked. And what that tells me is that we were in good shape. We were in good position that when yeah. City was shooting, we were able to get in the way. So you're kind of living with them getting into those areas as long as when they're in those areas, we're doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing. In terms of the kind of going forward and all of that stuff, I think there was a kind of so we've mentioned before, City are a really clever team. And I think I said last week there was a danger they were going to look to maybe trap Alexis McAllister in the way we've seen. And I, They were cleverer than that, actually. That did happen a couple of times, but not as much as I was anticipating. What they really did was kind of trap Zobuzlai. So the way that Zobuzlai was pressing, he was very much uh, basing his trigger off Nunes. So when Nunes went, he was falling in alongside behind him which naturally meant that McAllister would kind of come up a little bit to fill in that line within midfield. But what that meant was that Bernardo Silva was able to get space between McAllister and the defensive line. So there were a lot of times when City would win the ball back and suddenly Bernardo Silva would be standing sort of 15 yards in front of Trent and Docky would be over by the white. So Trent's basically got to pick his poison. Does he come in and try and press Bernardo Silva and stop him getting the ball? or does he concentrate on what his job with Doku, is, which is what he more often did. And that's how Silver was able to be so influential in the game. And as I mentioned, find Doku so many times. So it was really kind of playing on the attacking instincts of some of our players and using that against them and their ability to, to get out of our press, to get out of any press, to retain the ball under such pressure. And the way they were firing it into each other and still pinging it around It was really impressive to watch. So, again, I think from our attacking perspective, we didn't really get going because every time we tried to get into a position, they were able to take advantage of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned Bernardo there. I thought he was was brilliant, to be honest, what a player he is. Um, And I think he was a problem in the first half. He was picking up the ball in pockets. Klopp said himself after the game. I think that we 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 addressed that for the second half. We kind of slightly adjusted how we were pressing and things like that. Um, I agree with you. I think McCall. I thought McAllister would potentially get targeted a bit more than he did. I thought he ended up playing quite well. Actually, I thought he applied himself. I thought he was. He didn't look like a like he was exposed at any points. Um, and I think in terms of Doku being, I suppose the main the main problem. It's. I did not really expect it because Guardiola's has done that so many times and knowing what Guardiola is like, I thought he'd just switch it up this time and I thought he'd play on McAllister or I thought he'd play in Simakas. But it was just very, no, trends again. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Doku posted 11 completed dribbles according to numbers, which is um, the most by any Premier League player in a single game since 2021. That was a damn <clears throat> who we know was insane with that. And this is the mad stuff for you, right? It's the most that Liverpool have suffered in any Premier League game since records began. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy. That mate. come on like that. That that's dating back yeah. to two thousand and six when, when he started getting recorded by Opta. That's that's a mad stat. That like I mean, I've seen some of the dribbles to be fair, and some of them are questionable. Insane
1: clips, but uh, that's (laughs) insane. It is insane. And again, when you consider the quality of Bernardo Silva and what we've seen from Doku, you have to think before the game the plan would have been to try and stop those two being as influential as they were. And yet, clearly, by those numbers, we weren't able to. And yet, I do think, particularly in the second half, as they say, when we made the tweaks, we were able to. Limit the amount of times Doku was dribbling in dangerous areas. There were a few times towards the end, around the time of the disallowed goal, where he did get free out wide and one of Matip or Trent had to face up to it. But a lot of the time, they were able to send him inside. And I think that's really the key of Liverpool's defensive game plan. It was very much delay, 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 and then allow themselves to get back into shape. If you think yeah. about Um, when Joel Matip was playing, what we said last week, what was the main fear about him was his pace. So that is why in defensive situations, Trent was more worried about Docu than Silva because he knew he had the pace to match him. So his job was to match him with pace, make him make a decision, hopefully not dive in, delay him and allow everyone else to get back into shape. And as I say, with the block shots, that's exactly how it panned out. And I think there were times when, like you mentioned with the Adama Traore, you just have to accept that a player is has a skill or a talent or a trait that is almost undefendable to a point. You can't stop him from doing that thing that he wants to do. So what you have to do is make that thing that he does less damaging. And the way you do that is with what you do all around them and in the other positions on the pitch. And it wasn't perfect. There was, As I say, there were still times in the second half where he got free. But I do think in terms of our game plan it works overall better than a lot of people realise. Yeah,
0: D- Doku was uh, a- an interesting talking point how he felt during the game and, and after the game because he was obviously really dangerous during the game and, and I think when he assumed possession most of the time we all kind of placed ourselves basically and, and kind of hoped for the best. Um, but What what I think is interesting about, about it is from a Liverpool perspective, we, we have to we almost have to accept getting attacked somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got players all over the pitch for City who, who are really capable in possession and that, and obviously Dockham touched the ball a lot. And you, you you said earlier that like you know you obviously don't want that, and and I I agree, but I also think th- th- there might have been some kind of uh, almost like a plan where you almost accept. Except that if you look at like their the, the attack on bank of five, maybe you've got Harland in there, you've got Bernardo Silva, Phil Foden, who's had loads of top games against Liverpool, Julian Alvarez. I think Doku is is the rawest of all those players, even if he is the most dangerous at times. And it depends when, you, when when I say dangerous as well, it it really depends what you what you mean by that, I suppose, because he's. He's only 21, to be fair to him, but he's never really had too much of an end product attached to his game yet. Mm -hmm. So far, since his professional debut, he's made 119 appearances in the competitions. 73 of them have been starts, and he's scored 17 times and registered 19 assists. So, you know, in no season has he scored more than six goals, and he's already on his most assists in a single season with five. So... I think to an extent, I have seen people talk about, um, you know, doku should have been Liverpool should have signed Doku, Liverpool should have chased Doku. and I'm not sure. I, I don't. I don't think he's a Liverpool kind of forward because he, he's obviously a master dribbler, and I think he's more of a provider than anything else. But he's Liverpool managed to pick up on the real just me just just players who are just masters at getting really valuable shots out of nowhere. And he'll play bad and go missing for seventy-five minutes and then score two. <laughs> um, like a Jota or a Salah or a Nunes, Mane was like this. I think Diaz is maybe a bit more of a winger, um, yeah. and I think Gakpo is a bit more of an all-rounder, I suppose. But even Gakpo had loads of goals attached to test his game at PSV. But Doku is, I think, going to be a, a massive product of of Guardiola and what Guardiola asks him to do. Guardiola's literally only asking him to dribble and get to the byline. And I think, you know, if you're painting him as like this, you know, another Messi or something like that, I don't think he's anywhere near offering that
1: level of quality in terms of their product. No. Um, you mentioned the Liverpool forwards, and I think he, Diaz is the one that he is the closest to. And if you think about right. how he'd been used, it was very similar. When he first arrived, it was just go be you, do the things that made us want to sign you, be attacking, be exciting. And then once we started to try and fold it into our game plan, that's when it's, it, it, it. maybe his numbers started to tail off a little bit. I suspect we might see that with Doku. I have been slightly surprised by how good he has been from the start in terms of his numbers, particularly with goal scoring. But again, I think yeah, you I look at the goals and they are, they're, they're fantastic goals. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, they're not really repeatable. They're great goals. They're like bending one in from the edge of the box or doing the three step overs and firing one into the bottom corner. It's not, not, not six yard tap-ins that you think you're going to get from the system game in game out. It's relying on him having the quality to be his man and then having the quality to do something spectacular. And yeah, I think that will flatten out over the course of the season. And maybe once Pep starts to fold him into the game plan a bit more, we'll see what we saw him Grealish, where he'll be effective, but in different ways, and it will appear in different kind of metrics compared to the more flashy goals and assists. Um, another thing about what you say in terms of how productive was what he was doing, um, you mentioned the the high number of dribbles. Um, looking here on SofaScore, um, he had four key passes, which is when someone has a he passes and someone has a shot from it. So four out of those 11 were times when there was what you would call an end product, and he only completed three crosses in the whole game. So these are things where when someone's got that much ball and is being that dangerous, if they're still only getting to the next phase, which is getting towards a shot on goal very seldomly, then I still think you can say as a defence the work we're doing is working.
0: Yeah, as I said, he's an he's an interesting player. He's he's absolutely explosive, obviously, and he's incredibly difficult to deal with one one v one. And for that reason, he is very dangerous, and he's the ultimate kind of tactical tool. Really, if you want to just put him out wide, mm. get get him to get chalk on his boots, basically. Yeah, and you know almost ask the opposition find a way of coping with that because that that's going to be a problem for you. So he's definitely dangerous in that sense, and he does have the, the potential to, I think, follow a similar path maybe to, to Sterling under under Guardiola. I think Sterling got to a point where he was delivering real end product a lot more. Um, so it's definitely one to watch. But in terms of, you know, Doku being this kind of, I, I I just think he's got a lot to work on. Still, I think he's he's still very very raw. You can see what he's got going for his game, and you can see why City bought him. But um, I I think. I, I like the Liverpool kind of forwards that, that Liverpool are masters that, that are identifying. Like say for example, all this stuff that Doku did, <clears throat> um, he only took two shots. Nunes, for example, took four. <laughs> and I know he just striker, it. And yeah, he's got a completely different responsibility and things like that. But um I think Jotta is is kind of similar in that sense. And as I said, uh, Salah and, and Mane just being these kind of monsters in teams of actually impacting the scoreline, which is what you want your players in your final third to, to do almost. Um, I actually think Ben Doak is a good uh, comparison for, for Doku. actually, mm-hmm. in terms of being a master dribbler, getting to the byline all the time and being more of a provider. But in terms of being a killer, a long way to go with that. Um, one player who I haven't touched on this week, because I've I've covered this game for <laughs> the Anfield and Redmond TV and I've spoken about a lot already, to be honest, but one player I haven't touched on too much, is, is Curtis Jones. Um, Obviously, he was taken off after 53 minutes. I think that was because Johnson uh, got injured, to be honest, and Klopp decided to do two at once. Yeah. But um, I think a lot of people with hindsight are looking at the game and thinking that should have started.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a yeah. difficult one. I think it's obvious to say that Curtis didn't have his best game. I think it was one of the times where we saw some of the, I would call it the bad old Curtis, but some of the things that we <clears throat> used to see where he was a bit too pensive on the ball was... Right, yeah. And he, he allowed himself to be put, dragged into positions where he didn't really want to be. In terms of the, the substitution, it felt to me like it was a cold one. Like, I was expecting, particularly considering the lack of resources with Man City... It's understandable for Klopp to think, well, this is a game that we can win late on. So maybe we keep it tight with Curtis Jones in the first hour and Diego Jota, and then look to add the running power and the ball-carrying power of Gravenberg and Diaz around the hour mark. So I think Jota's injury kind of just brought that forward by five or ten minutes. I think that was always going to be the, the move as going forward. Uh, in terms of should and started, again, that puts into the overall game plan. And I do think that the idea of having those two late on when City will undoubtedly be tired uh, works, if you can hold it. Whereas in Jones in particular, if he was coming on as a sub at that point, would he have as much impact? It's, it's, it's unsure. I think the game naturally is going to be more stretched as it continues. And with those wide open spaces and getting back to front, I think Gravenberg's more of a threat. I think sometimes as well, at his stage of development, he's still learning the tactical discipline. And if, as I say, we've got a like who's flying forwards to uh, aid with the press, if the other midfielders aren't in the right positions, he can cause more. So I, I think it was more of a safer option to start with Jones over Gravenberg in that respect. Um, so I can understand it. But yeah, there's a part of me that says if we'd have had more Gravenberg than Jones in this game, then maybe we could have won. We could have caused them more problems.
0: I, th- I think I would have probably went with Jones from the off um, simply because I do think he's better on the defensive side at the minute than Gravenberg. He's, he's more accustomed to clutch ways. And obviously you're, gonna, you're not going to see as much of the ball if, you, if you're playing against Manchester City. So I can see why he went with with Jones, and I I probably would have done the same. But one thing I realised when when Gravenberg came on, maybe it was to do with players being tired by this point, but I felt Gravenberg offered elements of of what Oxley-Chamberlain offered for us a couple of years back in terms of being kind of that vehicle between the midfield and the forward line, Mm -hmm. being able to carry the ball up the field, large distances. And you need that quality against Manchester City. Yes. Because... You, you, your attacks basically have to come in transition. Mm-hmm. So, Jones, I think on the back of this game is is a lot. It is very much suited to playing when Liverpool are expected to win and Liverpool are favourites, because what Jones offers is specifically in relation to the kind of box midfield that we're using in terms of he's a master at, at really retaining possession high up the pitch. In the final third, never loses the ball. Probes around the penalty box, keeps things taken over, sustained attacks and all that stuff. And if the ball gets lost, he then immediately presses, regains it, and the next attack starts. Against City, you can't really pin them in like that. You have okay. to get them on the break. And if you're getting them on the break, as I said, Gravenberg is a bit more of a carrier, a bit more of a vertical runner, and Jones is. Jones is a bit more inclined to take a lot of touches. Maybe he's a bit more inclined to go sideways with his passes. Yeah. And I think he slowed us down a few times. So, yeah, looking at both players, they're both obviously really valuable, both very good, but in terms of the qualities at the offer, you could argue, based on what we saw, that Gravenberg is better suited to when Liverpool are going to be playing in transition, basically against the better side.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think, It wasn't just uh, Gravenberg's running power, but the positions he was taking up. There were times when he was basically a left winger sprinting down the touchline. And you don't really, Jones doesn't really have that kind of explosive pace to be able to do that. And what that meant was that they allowed Luis Diaz to kind of roam a little bit off of his line a little bit, maybe draw uh, Kyle Walker into positions he didn't really want to be in. And that meant space was there for Granbert to drive into. And I think the the forward, the, the attacking when we were on the break in the second half, he did look a little bit more um, rehearsed, a little bit more cohesive than it had done in the first half. I felt a little bit sorry for Jota, to be honest, because he was hardly in the game. He was he was basically just hurrying around, stopping defenders passing to midfielders the majority of the time. And to a certain extent, they did do that well. But, Obviously, once Diaz was on, it was very much a different attacking game. And Gravenberg did aid that particular. I think the other thing, he has that ability to still win the ball high up the pitch. So if he is breaking in transition and it breaks down, he's he's not like a, a traffic cone. He's not out of the game. He can get back in, but he can disturb and delay from that advanced position. So yeah, I think we are starting to see Um, who works well with whom and in which situations in terms of this new midfield and I think the exciting thing is that even though that there are best options in best scenarios I don't think there is really that many absolutely cannot do this options so I think we can kind of work with most of them but there is still like the plan A I think in each of those scenarios. I think we have to touch on Trent
0: as well. I, I think we have to dedicate some of the shows at Trent. Um, mainly because he was wearing Preds and then he went. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Big Honestly,
1: like, I did, the timing of that, like I did that must have been high-fiving when he scored that <laughs> goal. I know. The only thing I'm annoyed about is they were
0: white. Why did they give them white Preds, mate? Honestly, just give them the black ones, let them play a little bit like Beckham, Zidane, but they give them the white ones, mate. Very annoying. Um, but he scored with them <laughs> to be fair and I think from Manchester City's perspective Guardiola I, 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 th- I thought it was interesting with this because obviously he targets Trent when he's going forward using Doku all the time but then when Liverpool have the ball it, he shows him complete respect and man marks him with Bernardo Silva um, and that kind of for me epitomises Trent <laughs> in many ways yeah. in terms of being a right back so he's, uh, I was going to say defensive liability, but he's, he, I suppose, one of your weakest spots if you look at the team as a whole. Yeah. But then going forward, he's just, you know, such a such an attack and weapon for the team that Guardiola wants is to stop him. So it kind of restricted him from, from doing the inverted stuff a little bit. He had to play as a conventional right-back at times. Um, and when he did come inside, it was kind of in the... Um, attacking half of the pitch, a bit more of like an eight, almost at times, which is how he ends up scoring the goal. Um, and to be by the way, Gakpo was was Gakpo's underrated run for the goal. He deserves massive credit for that. He
1: does. I think to the point where it might have even been a set move. The way that it was almost like Gakpo looked across, saw the ball was going to Salah, saw the trend was coming in, and thought, okay, well, this is the time now. I draw this defender away, Trent runs in and smashes it in. But you're right. I think every single time we play in Manchester City, Trent has a conversation simply because against the very best teams, the yeah. situation is, is that people believe that he is a liability. Opposing managers believe he's a liability. We can tell that by the game plans, And yet he's able to kind of absorb all of that and still affect the other end in ways where Yes, all opponents will have a get at trend game plan, but they'll also have a how do we stop trend game plan. They literally need to have two game plans for this one player because he's that good. And I think we did see him still able to influence the game at certain points with his passing. And obviously, he made the goal. Oh, he scored the goal towards the end. I mentioned earlier on the fact that he was having to pick his poison a little bit with having Bernardo Silva and docu to deal with at times. And I don't think that that was kind of flagged up during most of the coverage. And that's again, something that we ask him to do more different things than anyone. And I know that a lot of times we we'll say, oh, well, he's protected here by having this midfielder here for him an XYZ. It's like, he still is the defender. And... As you say, there were a lot more times when he was in that natural right back position in this game than in previous games. But he is growing game by game, season by season, I think, as a player. And I've mentioned this before. I think one of my favorite things about him is that he is restless for perfection. He is always trying to add something new. So as much as every other team is going to have two trade game plans... They're always going to have to change because he's always going to find something a little bit different to do. And I'm hoping that arriving late in the box and scoring goals is one of them.
0: Well, I thought it was I thought it was a, a really difficult game for him, obviously, because of the the tactical dynamic around him and things like that, the way Guardiola targeted him and and, and man marked him as well, you know. And he still ends up popping up with a goal and, and deciding that the result with a one-one draw. Um I thought he was I think some people have suggested that he got roasters and and things like that, and and to be honest, I wouldn't overly disagree with that because obviously if he gets to double past eleven times, it's a bit it's a bit of a problem. But I also think you've got to throw in there that you know what what can he do in in them positions, and I think what he could do was um, almost lessen the impact of whatever Doku was doing if he did get beat or whatever and a lot of that was just kind of okay you can go to the byline sound we're expecting you to do that Mm -hmm. or if Doku did cut inside it wouldn't be inside as in cutting inside in the box he'd be cutting inside heading towards the the outside of the box if you see what I mean yeah heading towards like a number 10 spot yeah he wouldn't he would he was never cutting inside as in like you know, in the direction of the far post. It it was always in the direction of the day at the at the edge of the box. So that that again that lessens his impact. And Gary Neville I think is a bit telling in in the sense that he, he gives him man of the match at the end of the game. Some of that's good to the goal, but I think he was also relatively impressed with his, his defensive display, despite the fact that Doku was breaking record with with his dribbling
1: so yeah, weird games of assess in that sense, but well, it seems Go on. I was just going to say, in terms of Gary Neville's element, one thing you have to remember is that he is a right-back, so he will know yeah, yeah. the difference between getting beat one-on-one and the defensive game plan that involves everyone else. And you were talking about when you were driving him back in towards, cutting inside, back in towards the D, he was also driving him back, cutting inside, back in towards Liverpool players because he was either Zobazai or McAllister or most often Matty. Yeah. And this is the thing about what Trent was doing. It's like I said before about delay and getting people back into shape. There were times when, yes, Trent did get roasted, but in roasting Trent, what Docu actually did was allowed Matip the perfect opportunity to go in there and and deal with it. And so it was almost like Trent was just making him hang around until the real Defender got in there. And I mentioned earlier on as well about the connection between what Trent was doing and what the centre-halves were doing. I think if you look at, the way that Van Dyke was um, playing against Haaland, he was very much playing with his back to goal. So he was making sure he was at least three yards in front of him so he could see Haaland and he could see the guy with the ball at, both, at all times. Because one of the things Haaland's very good at is going to the back posts in the blind spot of whoever's marking it, waiting, waiting to the right moment, and then dive into the back post. Virgil didn't allow him to do that because he was in front of him and looking at him the whole time. So it was almost as if whenever Docu did get past Trent, that was Virgil's time to come in and go and he closed the space down on him so well. I think the one where Allison has to make the save and then we go up the other end and score, Virgil is there to be in position to lessen that shot, to allow it to be a savable shot rather than one where he absolutely buries it. And I think, again, the way that we were working in partnerships, working in tandem as a team, the structure, the shape, these are the things that I think make me think that we can do this against the better teams. Obviously, the compactness you mentioned, that was an issue. I know something the crop flagged up. But if we can get that to a level where we were previously, we are starting to look strong. And I say all this because I think a lot of neutrals still really underrate Liverpool as a defensive unit. I think they see the things like what um, Trent getting roasted by Doku, and they see the things like Allison making mad mistakes uh, in a time when he absolutely never ever does, by the way. And they still think, oh, well, Liverpool are a bit shaky. They're a little bit... You can get at them. But I do think that our style... You mentioned the difference between what City and Arsenal do. I think we are a lot more bend but don't break than they are. So we're able to live with looking bad as long as it doesn't actually go bad. And I think that that means that's not acknowledged because all we see is it looking bad. Whereas I'm now starting to really see the deep tactics of how we work in tandem. And as I mentioned, the shape and these things are growing on our building. And I think that there are foundations that can lead us over a season to be a defensively solid team.
0: Yeah, but bend, but don't break is a good way of putting it actually and, and it's interesting that you've just mentioned that, that 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 title talk because that's what I wanted to kind of round up with. Um, I think we, we will kind of close this week's show on just, you know, on the back of that performance and, and result, the trickiest fixture of the season. How do you feel now in terms of Liverpool's title prospects? Are they strengthened or are they worsened
1: based on what, what you witnessed? Strengthened, undoubtedly strengthened. I think that if you obviously uh, projecting forward to later in the season, we don't know who's going to be fit and available or whatever. But I think based on that performance, Liverpool can have confidence that they can beat this team at Anfield and that they can keep up with them. As I say, there's enough that you can, there's enough change that without the actual team itself or structure changing, that we can project to be a good football team, a good team, good enough to challenge for the title over the course of the season. That's where I sit right now. I'd like to know exactly how injured, if injured, Alisson is, by the way. uh, as a rather large caveat. Um, But, in terms of how do I feel, I feel good. Even considering the fact that Arsenal then went top of the table afterwards, I think there's so much still to happen. There's so many battles still to be had. But, you look at what we've already achieved, where we've already been, we've got so many of the bigger away games out of the way already. I think it's only Arsenal, uh, Manchester United and Aston Villa, we have to put them in there because of how they're playing at home, that we're of the big ones that we still need to do. So when you think about that, when you think about the fact that this team is able of going on a run, um, yeah, I feel good.
0: Yeah, I feel quite similar. I think uh, so far we, we, we are well in contention and we've had a tough start or, or things. I think we, we coped relatively well, considering all the context against Manchester City. They did look stronger for me, but that's to be expected for, for many many different reasons. I think it will be a different game at Anfield. And I think Liverpool just have the, the attack in particular, but also... As you say, the, the kind of relatively underrated defence, especially when Allison is kind of the last line of that defence at times, to to win the large majority of our games and, and and pick up a decent number of points. So it's again, it's too early to kind of actually say, yeah, there's going to be a title charge because as I think the Christmas period usually tells that. The Christmas period usually, you, you know, you usually get your your followers, your, the teams that drop off a little bit. I think it's a So far at the minute, it looks like a bit of a 3 horse race. Hopefully it still is after the Christmas period, but we'll see. Um, But, Mo, thanks for joining me. No problem, no problem. And we will be back next week to, to speak about Fulham and to look forward to the busy Christmas period. So thanks for tuning in, and we will see you then.
1: You've been listening to Analyze in Anfield from the Liverpool Echo's Blood Red channel.